0: Good morning everybody. It is so good to see you. It's good to see you. Amen. Hey, one, one little announcement. It's not a little announcement, it's a big announcement. How many of you get my newsletter? If you're online, you can raise your hand if you get the newsletter. Um, I wanted to emphasize something. I put on the newsletter uh, the Renew Women's Ministry Reveal kind of in review. And some cool pictures, they had such a great event last Sunday. And so make sure you go on the newsletter if you haven't already and and check that out. They did some very creative things based on their theme, which is this year, it's John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How many of you agree with that? That's so true. Well, today in the main lobby, there are some sign up. Uh, sheets there for you for the various ministries. Ladies, if you didn't make it to the Renew Reveal last Sunday, uh, it's not too late to go and check out the various ministries that are available to you. And my wife Catherine will be in the lobby if you have any questions. Amen? Before I get into my message this morning, there's just been so much going on in the world. Would you agree? It's it's, uh, the earthquakes that hit Turkey and, and parts of Syria I think the initial quake I was told was 7.8 and then the aftermath, aftershocks were in the 7 range and just the carnage and it just, it's heartbreaking. And, but blessed to hear about the different relief efforts that are going out even through our organization. And so what I'd like to do right now is just have a word of prayer for so many families and people, negatively impacted, life's lost. And not only, I I don't only want to pray for that, which is definitely needed, but uh, what's up with all these things in our skies? You know, and uh, shooting balloons down, and I don't know too much about it, but I want to tell you something. All those things that are going on, they're certainly concerning, aren't they? And so I'd like to lift up our nation, the world, and... Remember that we need to put that in God's hands and trust in Him that He's going to work through it. Let's not get distracted. Let's not let that keep us off or take us off the course that God has for us. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank You for the fact that we can come together. And Your Word tells us that when we come together, two or more gathered in Your name, when we pray, if we ask anything, You'll do it. And Lord, we know, we realize that Those are things that are pertaining to your will. Lord, we pray for Turkey, for Syria, uh, the devastation, loss of life. It's heartbreaking. God, I pray that you would uh, somehow bring peace, bring your gospel there. I'm just amazed at how many, uh, even nations that would be considered their enemies are coming to the aid uh, of people who are in distress right now. Lord, we pray for... Uh, just a miracle in that area. And, and our, again, our hearts are, are broken for the loss of life, the devastation. It's hard to imagine what can come out of any of that, but Lord, we just pray that you would move in a mighty way as you do so many times in, in natural disasters and you draw people to a saving knowledge of you. That's our prayer. Minister and comfort families that have been impacted, Lord. Lord, we lift up our nation as... Uh, We've seen spy balloons being shot down, unified objects being shot down, and we don't know that much. And, and Lord, we kind of lean towards not believing much of what we see and really not much of what we hear. So we want to trust in you and, and not be distracted. And I pray that you would put that on our hearts and our minds, not to be distracted, but to look to you as our source. We pray for protection, not just for our nation, But our world, Lord, as people are rattling sabers and talking about nuclear war and things like that, God, we lift all of that to you, not to be distressed about it. But we know the end of the story and we trust in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm concluding the series that I started a number of weeks ago called A Balanced Life. Can you say A Balanced Life? Well, we looked at a number of things over the last few weeks. I'm concluding today to ta- talking about love, but when we started the series, I broke it down this way. We talked about balance in our spirit, being spiritually vibrant and healthy. And I actually took t- two weeks to cover that particular topic that uh, it's essential for you and I as believers, as Christians, to walk in the spirit. We looked at, at that topic in depth. And it's been fun for me. I've I've kind of stepped off of expository teaching just over the last couple of weeks and and took on this topic. And I've had a lot of fun with it and I've got some great feedback from you, so thank you. The second, or the third week rather, we looked at uh, a balanced soul, soul health. And, And we realized that the soul, our soul is that, is the place of battleground that the enemy works. So it's known as the seat of passions. And I, and I explained very graphically what that means. And then following that, we looked at uh, balance in our body, which means being physically healthy. I talked about eating right and taking care of the temple, that God has entrusted you with you. So we are to manage and steward and take care of ourselves. And we talked about that. Last week, we talked about relationship balance. And today's kind of a, a little spillover of last week where we are looking at what I call love balance. Can you say love balance? We've got to be balanced in love. Boy, what a, what a way to, to start a Sunday with Valentine's Day coming, huh? Do you think there was uh, any influence there? Well, I want to share an illustration with you that I found quite interesting. True story, George Washington Crane, he was a, an American psychologist. He's also a, a, a physician. But he was best known as an article writer or columnist for a number of newspapers where he did a, a column called Worry Clinic and another one called Test Your, Your Horse Sense. And he tells this story, and I'll read it to you. He tells of a wife who came into his office, and she was full of hatred towards her husband. And she said, I don't want, I, I not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even with him all the pain he's caused me and the hurt he's caused me. And Dr. Crane, here's his counsel. Here's what he suggested. He had an ingenious plan. And he said, go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb on him. Tell him that you want to get a divorce. That'll really hurt him. That's what the counselor told his patient. And so with revenge in her eyes, she smiled and she said, beautiful, beautiful, I love it. He's going to be so surprised. So she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if for two months, She showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing love, and sharing. When she didn't return to Dr. Crane's office after a number of months, uh, he decided to give her a phone call. And he said, are are you ready to go through your divorce now? Divorce, she said. I never want to divorce this man. I really love him. Well, I, I like how... C.S. Lewis kind of pulled this together. He said, Do not waste your time uh, bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. Interesting, isn't it? I want to take it to the next level now and just say to you that based on those illustrations and some of the things we're going through, Uh, this morning in particular, that it's amazing when you behave, when you conduct yourself in a way, even doing the things that you don't want to do, but they're the right things to do, that changes your behavior, and not only changes your behavior, it changes others, and it not only does that, it changes your framework, your mindset, the way you perceive and and act out. Dr. Friedman said, and and he diagnosed how people uh, respond or react, and he He correlated the two, but he he did a comparison contrast and he said that when you react to things, and he was a proponent of responding, not reacting, he said when you react to things, your reactions are from the part of your brain that he called the reptilian brain. You know, reptiles are not too smart, are they? And that's your reaction. You know, when somebody hits you, you hit them back. When somebody says something nasty, you nasty back. You know, it's that quick wit firing back. But a response necessitates a pause. I call it a holy pause, right? Where you pause, you don't react. Remember the doctor hitting your knee with that little hammer and your leg goes like that? It's That's a reaction. It happens like that. But a response necessitates thinking through, critical thinking, processing, assessing. Oh, sh- this is what I'm thinking. Should I... Say it, don't raise your hand. How many of you say what you're thinking all the time? Don't raise your hand, please. How's that working for you? Okay, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But a response requires taking time, and, and this is what I would like you to do. This is my prayer for you this morning. As we go through uh, a certain passage in Scripture, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. It's known as, many call it the love chapter or the wedding verses because it's a couple of verses put together. But I want to just describe to you what it really is in a, in a moment. But as we go through the different attributes and characteristics of things we should do when we're loving people and just our behavior, the characteristics, the attributes that we should manifest, um, Paul also talks about the things that we shouldn't do. And as we go through the... Through that, here's the assignment for you this morning. Do your best to not think about anybody else. And this is probably the first time you're going to hear me say this. I want you to think about you, assess you where you're at with the things that I'm going to share with you. How do you fare with the different attributes that Paul describes as, as uh, behaviors of love? So I want you to do a self-assessment today as we go through this. Not to make you feel bad, but at the end of the service, my... My prayer is that you'll consciously make some decisions to improve. Amen? So it's going to be challenging. You ready? Are you ready? Yes. Okay, good. First service was ready. I was just checking to see if you were. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7. Here we go. Love is patient and kind. Love's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. I love this next verse, Seven. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, I want to pray one more time. Would you bow your heads? Father, as we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, Lord, I pray that you would minister to hearts the areas that uh, we would recognize that need addressing, but not to pull us down, but to encourage us to walk the way that you walk, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they they show us how Jesus loved. He ministered powerfully through love. And Paul here in 1 Corinthians 13, he gives us a guide for you and I on how to be like Jesus. That's basically it. And I'm sure everyone here, most everyone's probably attended a wedding before. And specifically, if you've attended a Christian wedding, more than likely, this verse was read, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4-7. through seven. This block of scripture, as I said, said earlier, it's known as the love chapter, but it's also known as the wedding chapter, but I want you to know something. It really doesn't, in context, in its actual context, has nothing to do with a wedding. But that's not going to stop me from using it in weddings, because it's a great verse. It just is a great verse. It's a picture of, of what uh, behavior you and I should adopt or not adopt. And so you're sitting in a wedding and all of a sudden it's either the pastor or whoever's conducting the wedding or maybe one of the, somebody in the wedding party that's been chosen to read this verse and love is patient, love is kind and all, whoever you're sitting next to, they go like this. You know? and, and as the reading continues, you're, just, you're getting hammered. That never happens to me. But you're getting hammered, right? By the end of the reading of the scripture, you feel pretty beat up. But I've got good news for you because this passage has nothing to do with a wedding. Somebody go, thank you, Jesus. Here's what happens. Paul, this is 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I'm really good at math. There's 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, and, and chapter 13 fits right in the middle. I told you I was good at math. But chapter thirteen, rolling into chapter twelve, rolling into thirteen, and in a little bit into fourteen, you have a situation where Paul is addressing the gifts of the church. He's talking to an organization. He's ministering to an organization called the church. Did you know your your home is an organization? It's, there's a structure there. We have an organization here. And there were some issues going on in the church of Corinth that Paul needed to address. And in the addressing of those issues, he was laying out some behaviors. But more importantly, he was telling the church organization, hey, God's given you gifts. There are gifts. They're they're amazing. And you're going to be doing amazing things. You can do amazing things through these gifts. And God loves you. Paul talks about the love that God has for you. And by the way, There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God loves you, and he's given you gifts. And that's a message for a a different Sunday. But then right in the middle of talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and and how they're to be used and utilized within the context of the church to edify and build up the church, you have this block of Scripture about love. And the reason being is this. You can do a lot of good things for God, But if you don't have love, it doesn't mean a thing. Amen? That's what what this means. And so, you have this passage that in context of how it was written is to the church, but it's also for you and I to embrace. It not only is a model for us to, to follow corporately or organizationally, Think about it. The church, if they modeled uh, this list of love, the church would be amazing. Everybody would want to be here. But it goes even further. This lands in, in your home, in your personal relationships. And that's where I'm going to take it. Now, you and I have struggled over the last couple of years. Everybody has in the whole world the last three or four years, right? There's been a lot of changes. There's been a lot of dynamics. There's been Mm. challenges. There's been, some of you have lost jobs or been repositioned, uh, missed opportunities, missed promotions, Uh, and some of you haven't quite been affected in that capacity. But there's been a sense of rejection uh, for a lot of people and and just the narratives that are out there and just the way life has changed in all capacities. But I want you to know something that in God's family, listen to this, in God's family, God's family now, I'm talking about God's family, you are never rejected in God's family. If you're part of God's family, you're never going to be rejected. You're never going to be put on a shelf. And God has infinite value for you. You were created in God's image. We are image bearers. And so there's a way that we live. We live for God. And when we live for God, it honors God. And when we honor God, God blesses us. And it's an amazing thing. And so right here in the middle of Corinthians chapter 13, I want to read it one more time. Let's put it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 13:4 through 7. Love is patient. It's kind. Love's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So, I'm gonna, I, I've called these characteristics attributes, love attributes that bless you and they bless others. They certainly bless others when you're behaving this way, but they bless you as well. And so, the first one is this, love is patient. We talked a lot about this last week. By the way, if you've missed any of the A Balance Series messages, you can go on our website and click the icon that says messages, and they're all right there on our website, eagleridge.church. Love is patient. Paul says love is patient. And what does it mean to be patient? It means that you have the ability to stand firm. That's what it means. When you're attacked, when you're offended to stand firm. The dictionary says to to be or remain steadfast in conviction despite attack. And so last week we talked about those who are closest to us in that context of the two, three, or at the most five, those closest to us. Typically family members, very close friends, spouses. And those are the relationships where they're the most meaningful at times and pleasant, but they can also be the most painful at times, right? And so that's where, because of the proximity of closeness, that's where we get injured with offense. We get offended. We get impatient. Uh, A friend can stick a knife of betrayal in your back and and it can hurt. A a co-worker that you've made friends with can get promoted uh, and you not. And those things, we get impatient with that. And we're to, to stand firm. We're to stand on, on the Word of God. And, and, and listen, you and I can't conjure up or manufacture the patience that's needed to get through life. But in Christ, Christ can give us the patience that's needed. It's a supernatural thing that God does in the Christian man or woman. Patience. It's patience to have that, that moment of pause when you want to fly off the handle You know, those who are closest to you know your buttons. You know what I'm talking about, buttons? The things that tick you off, right? The buttons. You know, when there's an argument and you're not getting anywhere, someone will push a button because it just sends it off into the next universe, doesn't it? Right? And so it's at that moment where you just pause. And I shared with this earlier, it's a holy pause. You just pause. You don't react, you respond. You think, and sometimes the correct response is no response. Amen. And it's at that moment I really believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go there. Don't go there. Or hey, you say it, but say it this way. Right? The Holy pause. Can you say Holy pause? It'll help you, as Freeman said, it'll keep you out of the reptilian mind aspect of reacting every time to every situation and moving and flowing in more of a godly way, walking in the Spirit. So, being patient's not easy. I shared with you last week, I've heard a lot of young Christians go, Pastor, I, would you pray for me? Sure, I'd love to pray for you. How can I pray for you? Will you pray that I have patience? And I always go, oh no. <laughs> All right, but be ready because you're going to be tested and things are going to happen in your life where you'll have the opportunity, not the problem, I call them opportunities, to be patient, Right. So be careful what you pray for. So that was patience. Uh, love is kind. And this is a difficult concept to, it's difficult to put it into words. But if, if I were to put a face on grace, it would be kindness. The face of grace Grace, it comes from that word charis where we get the word charismatic. It really means gift. The face of grace, it is kindness. And one of my favorite preachers, Charles Swindoll, he once said, kindness is a language that deaf people can hear and the blind people can see. Kindness. Now, I'm going to do my best. I found an illustration that I think is one of the best illustrations I've ever come across that really paints a picture of what kindness is. And when I when I read it I, I wept. I thought, oh, I can't use that. Especially in a morning where I'm wearing my leather jacket, you know. <laughs> um, but so I, I prayed about it. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll be strong. I'm not a real emotional guy. But this one hit me, the heart strings, the chords. And, and so I shared it in the first service, and I was a mess. So, Lord, help me. I think this is going to minister to you. It really beautifully defines what kindness is. You ready? It's called the closing of a life. Because I drive the night shift, my cab, and you can insert the word Lyft car or Uber, right? My cab often becomes a a moving confessional. Passengers climb in, they sit behind me in total anonymity, and they tell me about their lives. I encounter people whose lives amaze me. Some ennoble me, others make me laugh, and sometimes make me weep. However, none touched me more than a woman I picked up late one August night. Responding to a call from a small brick fourplex in a quiet part of town, I assumed I was being sent to pick up some partiers or someone who had just had a fight with a lover or a worker heading to an early shift at some factory in the industrial part of town. When I arrived at 2.30 in the morning, the building was dark except for a light, a single light, on the ground floor window. And under these circumstances, many drivers would just honk once or twice and then they would just drive away but I've seen too many impoverished people who depended on taxis as their only means of transportation. And unless a a situation smelled of danger, I always go to the door. This passenger might be someone who needs my assistance. I reasoned to myself. So I walked to the door and I knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail, elderly voice. After a long pause, the, the door opened and a small woman in her late 80s stood before me. She was wearing a, a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it, like somebody out of a 1940s movie. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. There were n- no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks or utensils on the counters. In the corner was a cardboard box filled with photos and, and glassware. "'Would you carry my bag to the car?' she asked. I took the bag, then I turned to assist her. She took my arm and walked slowly to the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. "'It's nothing,' I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way I would want my mother treated. "'Oh, you're such a good boy,' she said. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address an address, and then asked, could you drive through downtown? It's not the shortest route, I answered. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any more family left. The doctors say I don't have long. I quietly reached over, shut off the meter. What route would you like like me to take, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she asked me to slow in front of a particular building or a corner and would sit staring into the darkness saying nothing. As the first hint of sun ceasing the horizon, creasing the horizon, excuse me, she suddenly said, I'm tired. Let's go now. We drove in silence to the address she had given me. Two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were concerned and intent, watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. I opened the trunk, and I took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching into her purse. Nothing, nothing, I replied. You have to make a living, she answered. There's other passengers, I responded. And almost without thinking, I bent over and I gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said. Thank you. I squeezed her hand. Then walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly, lost in thought. For the rest of the day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten into an angry driver's car? Or one who was impatient at the end of a shift? What if I had refused to take the run or had honked once then driven away? I don't think I've done anything more important in life than that trip with that woman. We're conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments. However, great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what others may consider as small and insignificant moments. I can't think really of a better story that represents kindness, can you? How we can emulate that kind of sweet. Sweetness is all I could call it. I got through that. You ready for number three? Love is not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not jealous. Can you imagine? What would the church look like if we all put our egos down? What would the church look like if we didn't try to or attempt to promote ourselves, but we just loved and embraced and we were kind? We weren't jealous when somebody got promoted above us. We rejoiced. We weren't boastful or proud or rude. You know what I think the church would be like? I I think we'd have to build a new building There'd be so many people coming in here to feel and sense the love that was permeating this building. And you know what? I want to tell you something. I sense that here. We're not perfect because we're filled with imperfect people, right? I are one. Are you? Yeah. But I'll tell you what. If we strove to be and emulate and carry these characteristics, these love attributes, as I call them, We're talking revival. And I want to break it down even further because this love's not jealous. It's not boastful or proud or rude. Love doesn't boast. It doesn't brag. And, And you know that word brag, where it comes from? It comes from the word windbag. Windbag. You know what a windbag is? For those online, I will not repeat that. (laughs) But a windbag, if you've ever blown into a bag, you know, sometimes if you're having oxygen issues, you'll exhale and carbon, you know, it'll help you out. You blow into a bag, you fill it up and you pop it, nothing's left. That's what a windbag is. Nothing's left. And uh, it pops. Boasting and bragging is not a attribute of love it's just the opposite and and love is not prideful it's not arrogant it's not self-consumed self-important it puts others first when you and I begin to put others first even if we feel like you know what we deserve respect we deserve to be treated a certain way if you just put that on the shelf and you start loving and respecting and you're kind and you're patient It comes back to you. It comes back to you. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. I know some of you might be like me. You get hangry. I've talked about that in the past where you get a little irritable if you don't eat on time. We're like babies, right? Some of us. If I don't eat at a certain time, I get a little irritable. Catherine knows it. She goes, you haven't eaten, have you? I said, no, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> That's not love. And that comes from really a root of pride. It does. It does. I want to move on. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. We we talked extensively about forgiveness last week. That was tough. And when you keep a record of someone's wrongs, in essence, you're not forgiving them. And Jesus said in Matthew, he said if you don't forgive, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. So it's important. It's important that we forgive. And it's important that we don't keep a record. Remember last week I said, Well, I remember 45 years ago when you said or when you did. And that's keeping a record of, of things. And that's not definitely not showing forgiveness. So. And aren't you glad? If you're saved if Christ is in your heart, aren't you just thrilled that God doesn't... He chooses not to remember our sin. He cast it. the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, washes the slate as white as snow, driven snow. Isn't that cool? Amen. When I come in to worship the Lord, I mean, even if I've had a rough week, I just throw my hands up and say, God, I just thank you for saving me you saved me. I don't, I didn't deserve it. You've given me forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And I didn't deserve it, Lord. You love me. And I don't have to fear death. Because I'm going to live forever in eternity. God chooses not to keep a record. Of, and, and we need to be like that, not keep a record of wrongs. Forgive people for our own benefit and health and well-being. Because the opposite of of forgiveness is unforgiveness and what comes with that is the roots of bitterness and, and anger and that's a cancer. And it can, in fact, turn into a manifestation of illness. And then number five this morning, love is happy for the right things. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Truth, absolute truth, is found in the context of these pages. It's contained right here. And we rejoice in all the right things. That's why when someone gets saved or comes to the Lord or rededicates their life to the Lord or is baptized, we go crazy in here because the angels in heaven are applauding. And every time someone gives, a soul is added to heaven, they rejoice. Rejoice in the right things. Be happy about the right things. And then I want to close with this. It's most powerful. The power of love. I love verse 7. Listen to this. And keep in mind, this is, we're talking at a level of supernatural. It's God's Word. But none of these things, I, I just don't think you can conjure or manufacture what I'm talking about. You have to lean in, press into the Lord, and God equips us to be and do these things. Does that make sense? And so when we read verse 7, it says, love never gives up. How many times have you given up? in this arena. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. There's seven to 8,000 promises depending on who you talk to and God's Word that you and I are recipients of. Love never loses faith. It, it's always hopeful. Yeah, I know there's spy balloons flying over and other UFOs they're shooting down. We don't know what they are yet. I, I haven't heard yet. And even when you do hear, you're not sure if what they're telling you. I don't know. Let's not get into that, okay? I just don't know. I trust in the Lord. Amen. I, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I, I'm always hopeful. No matter what I watch on the news, I'm going to be hopeful. I choose, I choose to be hopeful no matter what I hear or see. All oh, hell is breaking loose. You know what? I know the end of the story. I know the end of the story. It's right here. And God wins. And if you're one of His children, you're part of the winning team. Amen. So I'm not going to let what I see, I'm not going to let what I hear, we are not going to let it affect us, amen? The power, the power, the power of love, it never gives up, it never loses faith, it's always hopeful, and endures through every, say every, this kind of love endures through every circumstance, wow. This is our hope. This is our, this is our power through Christ. And it's certainly our victory. So I when I look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, I see it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Do you get this? Don't, don't raise your hand. Do you get this at home? Do you give this at home? Re- remember at the beginning of the service, I said, don't judge others when I'm sharing this message, think about yourself, assess yourself. Are you giving this at home? Are you giving this at work? Are you giving this in the ministry that you're in, here at church, in the Bible study you're in? Do you give this to your friends? This kind of love that we talked about this morning. I'm praying for a revival. I know there's a movie coming out next week, The Jesus Revolution. Uh, I hear there's a revival breaking loose in Kentucky at Asbury Seminary right now. You might want to look it up. Things are happening. People are driving from all over to go there and experience what's happening. All it takes is a small group of people that say, God can. God can. We repent and, and say, God, we're so sorry. America has turned away from you. We've turned away from you at every corner in every way. And Lord, you love us, and you love what you created, the only aspect of your creation that bears your image. and So we pray for a revival that people would come to Christ. And one way they're going to come to Christ is by seeing the love of Jesus in us, seeing these attributes I shared with you this morning that Paul shared with us this morning in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. When people see somebody that's uptight and negative, that's not the love of Christ. Amen? I want you to bow your heads. Father, thank you for your word this morning, Lord. Help us to emulate what we've just looked at these attributes of love. But, Lord, I know. God, I know there's no way you can do any of this without first, without first having a relationship with you. Give your heart to Jesus this morning. God loves you. He knows you. He knows everything you've done. And you know what? He still loves you. He loves you in spite of you. You're precious. You're very special to the Lord. He has a plan. And for that to be activated in its full potential, you must have a relationship. Not a religion, a relationship with Him. Would you give your heart to Jesus this morning? If you're not walking with the Lord, would you, right now, come back home? If you're watching online, this message is for you. If you're in the courtyard, this message is for you. Give your heart to Jesus right now. If you desire to do that, if you desire to clean the slate, start anew, you need a mulligan, however you want to verbalize it, start fresh today, a new beginning with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of all of my sin. Jesus, I realize I need You. Jesus, I need You as my Savior and my Lord. If you're rededicating your life to the Lord, just say that. I rededicate my life to You, Jesus. Jesus, I believe that You died on the cross. You rose from the grave. I give You my all. Be the Master of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand this morning? Praise God. Praise God. Let's all stand to our feet. Listen, if you're online watching, out in the courtyard here in the sanctuary, if you prayed to receive Christ for the first time, I want to welcome you to the family of God. If you prayed to receive Christ for the first time or you rededicated your life to the Lord, there's a couple of things I would like you to do if you would be so kind. Either text the word pray to the number you see on the screen right now And that's to fill out a connection card digitally. Or you can fill an actual hard card, connection card, My Next Steps card, out while you're here on campus. They're on the back lobby tables in the main lobby and outside in the courtyard. Fill those out. Turn them in to one of the buckets or the boxes or give them to one of our leaders. And and, uh, I want to get those cards. I want to encourage you in your newfound faith and your relationship with the Lord. Let's give the Lord another hand. Amen. Now, I know I know Valentine's Day is almost here, right? And you're, you're kind of like, oh, man, I'm not prepared. Well, we've got some stuff out there that might be available to you. But if you're looking at making reservations at a restaurant, it's not always easy on Valentine's Day. But there's a lot of other things that you can do. You can go for a nice ride, right? Spend some time together. Uh, if you know someone who's single, if you know somebody who doesn't have family, spend some time with them, amen? Make it a family event. But... The attributes we looked at would be a great time to start implementing those. Amen? Amen. God bless you. The praise team's going to close us in a song.